0: Welcome to Still Pretty, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast from Chipperish Media. I'm story expert
1: and one of those wheel thingies, Lonnie Diane Rich. And I'm film scholar and stupid, useless fad. No, I said fad, and I'll say it again. (laughs) Noelle LaCroix, and we're here today to talk about Gingerbread, the 11th episode of season three.
0: Gingerbread aired on January 12th, 1999, and was written by Thanaya, Thanaya, Thania. Thania? Thania, nobody knows. I don't know. Nobody knows how that's pronounced, even her mom. Thanaya St. John and <laughs> Jane Espenson, and directed by James Whitmore Jr. I'm
1: saying Thania, and I think it's a beautiful name, and yes, well Asania
0: done. is beautiful, Thania is beautiful, However, however it's pronounced, and if she is out there listening to us,
1: Sorry, you? Friend of the podcast? Hey, I have a name that I have to explain to people all the time, so it's fine. (laughs) Anyway, this is the episode where Amy turns herself into a rat, and she stays a rat, except for one tiny blip for three more seasons. (laughs) And I remind you of that to remind you that Still Pretty is, as always, fully spoiled for your listening pleasure. (sighs) So if you haven't seen it, it's a 20-year-old show, and it's probably been spoiled for you a whole lot already. Yeah. But mm-hmm. uh, I'm also kind of curious as to why you're here and why this is your first episode of So Pretty. But, you know, welcome. <laughs> We're happy you're Shit here. happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Grab your Wolfsbane, Toadstone, and the nearest fire hose, and let's go on patrol. Gingerbread, Buffy goes patrolling, and Joyce comes along with a snack and wants to watch her slay. When Mr. Sanderson from the bank attacks, Buffy chases after him and tells Joyce to stay. Joyce wanders off and discovers two small children, a boy and a girl, dead at the park with symbols painted on their hands. Buffy goes to Giles and shows him the symbol, which he says is indicative of a ritual slaying. A group of human beings. Someone with a soul did this.
0: That's
1: it. And while you're looking for the meaning of that symbol thingy, could you also find a loophole in that slayers don't kill people rule? Joyce
0: shows up at school upset about the kids. She's organized everyone in town, including the mayor, to get together for a meeting at City Hall. Even Willow's mom, who apparently hasn't seen Willow since August, shows up and starts spouting off academic pseudo-speak about the rise of mysticism among teenagers. The mayor speaks and says it's a good town, but then Joyce feels inspired and takes the mic. This isn't our town anymore. It belongs to the monsters and witches and the slayers i say it's time for the grown-ups to take sunnydale back
1: cut to creepy music and dark shots of bones and candles and all that witchy nonsense these must be the bad guys but when we pull the shot back there's willow sitting on a rug that has the very symbol that was drawn on the kids hands willow's a killer willow's a bad guy no she's not And even before we were spoiled, we knew that because it's Willow. Don't try to jump scare me when you've got squeaky shoes, TV show. At school, witches are being bullied, and as Buffy defends them saying witches didn't do it, Giles has some news for her. His research indicates that witches maybe did do it. He sends Buffy to retrieve a book that he loaned to Willow. She finds Willow's books and sees the bad witchy symbol sketched in Willow's notebook. What is this? A doodle? I do doodle, you too, you do doodle too. This is a witch symbol. Okay, yeah, it is. Willow. What? That symbol was on the murdered children.
0: Snyder does a locker search looking for occult items. They take Amy away and Willow starts freaking out telling Buffy the symbol was for a protection spell which she did for Buffy's birthday. Buffy grabs the book from Willow and heads to the library where the police are tearing apart Giles' book collection. Giles gets angry and Snyder warns him if he puts up a fight, he'll have to answer to Moo.
1: Answer to Moo? Did that sentence just make some sense that I'm not in on
0: Mother is opposed to the occult. Powerful new group.
1: And who came up with that lame name?
0: That would be the founder. I believe you call her Mom.
1: At home, Willow's mom confiscates Willow's magical supplies, complains about the patriarchal bias of the Mr. Rogers show, forbids her from seeing Bunny Summers, and grounds Willow to her room. At Buffy's house, she confronts Joyce about taking Giles's books, but Joyce is on a tear, and she tells Buffy that her work is pointless. It's not like Sunnydale is running out of vampires. Buffy storms out to go on her pointless patrol, and Joyce turns back to her posters and lapel pins and the ghosts of the two dead children that are haunting her. Just trying to make things better. You are. There's bad people out there. And we can't sleep. Not until you hurt them. The way they hurt us.
0: Buffy meets Angel at the park and in the middle of the best part of the episode in which Angel for the first time puts forth the idea of why we fight, Buffy pulls us back into the badness of this episode by wondering where the kids' parents are. No one has seen them. No one even knows their names. She brings this insight to the library where Oz and Xander pull Willow in for research over the internet and they discover that the same kids have been showing up dead in places over and over again for hundreds of years, turning peaceful communities into vigilante mobs. Michael arrives in the library, telling everyone that people are grabbing kids and taking them away. Giles and Buffy go to confront Joyce, who knocks them out with chloroform. And Xander and Oz run off to rescue Willow, but they're too
1: late. We really have to talk. Time to go. Oh, and get your coat. It's chilly out. Go, go where? I said get your coat, witch. At City Hall, a bunch of the stupidest people in the world, who apparently don't know how fireworks set up burning stakes over piles of books indoors which will kill them all but they don't care because they're a wild vigilante mob Buffy, Willow, and Amy are tied to stakes and idiot mobbies are standing there with torches they light the books beneath the stakes and Amy turns herself into a rat to escape which I mean did she even try to learn any other spells meanwhile Cordelia wakes up Giles, and he has her crushing 11 magical herbs and spices while he drives them to the school, muttering in German. What are you muttering about? It's a part of an incantation. It's in German, without my books. It's... What does it mean? It's about uh, lifting a veil. Um, it should uh, make the demons appear in their true form, which we only like well that their influence.
0: Xander and Oz crawl through the air vents to try to save Buffy and Willow, but the fire is burning as the little kid ghosts Egg, Joyce, and the others on. Cordelia and Giles bust into the place, and while Cordelia pulls out a fire hose, Giles gets to work chanting to reveal the children as demons and break the spell. The two child demons merge into one big, ugly demon, and Buffy breaks the stake she was burning on and pushes it through the demon's head. It's over, the entire town forgets everything, and Buffy and Willow do a spell to turn Amy the rat back into Amy the human. It does not
1: work. Maybe we should get her one of those wheel thingies.
0: All right. So, Noelle, um, I'm going to start with a little bit of a run here awesome. uh, because I think it's I think it's important that I express to everybody like how much I hate this episode. I mean, and the thing is, like, I don't even care enough about it to like super hate it. It's not as you were or anything like that. But it's just it drives me crazy. And the thing is, like, I really had to think about it because Gingerbread has a lot of things in it that I usually like. Like, I love a fairy tale allegory. I love ode episodes like X-Files did a rope episode called Triangle. That I absolutely loved. Um, And when Buffy does ode episodes, I don't necessarily really care for it. Like, I didn't love Double Meat Palace either, which was also an ode episode uh, written by Jane Espenson in the sixth season, which references the 1970s weirdo horror, whatever it was called Soylent Green, right? Soylent Green is people, like that whole thing. Fully Um, spoiled. Yes, fully spoiled. Soylent Green is people? Yes,
1: (laughs) really
0: creative people. So I just spoiled not just Buffy, but a sixty-year-old film. But anyway, um, the thing is, like, I love Jane Espenson, who's one of my favorite writers of all time. Her, Marty Knox, and Doug Petrie, like these are my go-to people for um, for Buffy, and I love their work. Um, But Jane Espenson wrote both Gingerbread and Double Meat Palace, and I'm just like, why do I hate these episodes? So I went to like revisit. Uh, the review that I did of Double Meat Palace way back in the beginning is still pretty when I was finishing up from season six. Um, and with Double Meat Palace, I felt like instead of pulling the reference into Buffy, as we did with like Hush, you know, and Once More with Feeling, um, we're pulling Buffy into the reference and it puts the world Off, It makes everything feel really strange. Suddenly, we're not in Sunnydale anymore. I mean, Buffy is a covert operator in Sunnydale. No one acknowledges all the weirdness, you know, like consciously. And as such, we're allowed our dual world, right? We've got the mundane versus the mystical. And that's how Buffy works, right? But here, they've kind of pushed them together, you know, the admittedly thin veil between them is lifted entirely. And that's a big deal and something that you can't really just undo, except they just undo it. At the end of the episode, this big moment of revelation where everyone knows is just snapped back and we pretend it never happened. But you can't just unsee things. You can't unknow things. I mean, I guess the demons had like a magical thrall and they just all forgot it. But whatever, I don't know. The whole thing is just weird and it doesn't work for me. But In addition, we're not just referencing one thing in Gingerbread. We're sewing together bits and pieces of other stories like some kind of narrative, Frankenstein. Only that last jolt of electricity is not bringing this shit to life. (laughs) It's not not working. (laughs) Uh, You know, we've got bits of Hansel and Gretel, Fahrenheit 459, The Crucible, bits of real life fascistic regimes, you know, references pulled in. It's like this hodgepodge of weird, combined with a sickly green visual aesthetic that speaks to Apocalypse Now. Um, And that reference even becomes text when Snyder says, I love the smell of Desperate Librarian in the morning, right? So it's just, it's a weird episode. It's not Buffy. It doesn't feel like Buffy. It's something that's way too self-aware and way too disjointed to be anything that you can kind of sit comfortably with. And I don't like it. And it annoys me every time I see it. (laughs) Even though there are things in it, there are themes in it, there's stuff in it. That ordinarily I would really enjoy, but because it's so weird and and like (laughs) overcooked, right, it just it doesn't work for me. So now I want to throw to you and I am hoping that you really liked this episode so you
1: can balance out how much I freaking hate it. (laughs) I love that you hate it so much that you added eight degrees to Fahrenheit 451. That's... Oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) That's how much you hated it. That's how much
0: I hated it. I actually went back in time and altered... (laughs) <laughs> the name of the novel. It's perfect. I believe that should end. I'm not going to fix it. All right. So I fuck things up sometimes. It happens. I hey, had to when, write this script in like 40 minutes before well, we sat down to record. So
1: yeah. And when and when something pisses you off, you know, mm-hmm. like facts kind of go out the window, which it, it is does. a great kind of ish sort of transition into my thoughts about this episode. Yes. I, you know, we always we talk about the patriarchy, argh, the patriarchy, Um, at the end of every episode. And I scooched it all the way up to the beginning of this Mm -hmm. one. um, Because I feel like there's a lot of, okay, all right. I'm just, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna go with it. Because Buffy likes to take on big themes, right? Mm -hmm. And it likes to wind them up into the mundane. And that's a big part of what, we love about it right but there are a lot of big themes in this one <laughs> weird little episode right. yes and I'm not sure how to unwind them all in fact I'm not even sure that they want to be unwound I think we're borrowing mm-hmm. bits and pieces from different stories and different ideas um, but there's something here that I really like question mark mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my gosh sure. um, <clears throat> so In Gingerbread, we have two young women facing down adulthood, or perhaps on the edge of 17. Shout out to one of my favorite witches, Stevie Nicks. (laughs) We hear that Buffy's birthday is coming up. Adulthood for Buffy and Willow is right around the corner. Mm -hmm. And they're learning to be effective in their own supernatural adjacent ways. Mm -hmm. Willow as a powerful witch and Buffy as a college-bound slayer. Mm Mm-hmm. And then we have their mothers. They're opposite, but exactly the same mothers. I mean, (laughs) Joyce overstepping her bounds to be with Buffy, while Sheila completely ignores her daughter to the point that she's shocked by an August haircut in January. (laughs) I mean... I sort of love that. I love that detail, but also like, what the fuck, Sheila? No, but it's so like, and this is the thing. And I think this is part of where
0: uh, there's so many details like that, that just are so ridiculous and so over the top that they pull me out of the moment because Sheila Rosenberg is a ridiculous caricature. Oh, my God. Of a yeah. mother, of an academic, of a feminist. She is a ridiculous caricature of everything. And had they, like, pulled her back just a little bit, had they not made it that ridiculous, you know, that, like, it's it's like Willow doesn't have any parents at all. Like, we never, ever, ever see or hear from her dad. You know, right. we hear his name in, like, one episode. I believe he's Ira. Yes. Um. But we never see her dad. We never see. I mean, last week in Amends, we got this, you know, we finally got Willow kind of like holding her ground. That like, hello, I'm Jewish. Not everybody worships Santa, you know. Um, And so we got that real strong sense of, of this identity from her you know, in Amends, we've had this, you know, kind of reference to Xander's terrible family life, which of course we then made like, you know, super textual in Amends as well. Um, So now we're getting a look at Willow's home life and it doesn't make any sense that like, nobody's taking care of Willow. Nobody cares where she is. Her mother hasn't seen her or noticed anything about her since August. And this is the first time That Willow's had a complaint about that. Like, we have been weaving in Xander's complaints, you know, about his family, like, pretty much from the beginning. They're subtle. They're usually, you know, on the back end of some kind of snarky joke he's making. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's always been there. Like, this idea that Willow is so completely neglected that her mother literally has not noticed her for six months you know, um, that's a bit much. It's a bit over the top. And so all of that stuff, um, you know, put together is another thing that like separates me. It separates this episode from the reality of the Buffy world that I see everywhere else.
1: Right. And we're trying to put Willow's mother in contrast with Joyce, who is suddenly yeah. like super on board with the whole Slayer thing to the point that she... And over attention. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And this is not a Joyce that we've seen really before. Maybe a little bit. But it feels it feels really no, forced. I mean, Both Joyce your mother always
0: doing her gallery
1: stuff. Yeah. She's gone for weeks at a time. We don't even see her. Yeah. (laughs) But we get these um, mother characters who are supposed to be opposites of one another. Mm -hmm. And somehow over the course of the story, both of these women end up attempting to burn their daughters at the stake. Yeah. And I think it's interesting and perhaps really problematic that both Joyce and Sheila do this on their own without Buffy and Willow's father's involvement. Hank Summers Mm -hmm. is out of the picture and Ira Rosenberg is out of town. Right. And I put this whole mother daughter stick burning thing under arg the patriarchy because at best it seems like a cautionary tale about what happens when you let women, specifically mothers, as in mothers opposed to the occult, call the Mm -hmm. shots. And right. yes, that is the best case scenario. A worse, and to <laughs> my way of thinking, more likely scenario is that Gingerbread is a story about the way adult women are among the most devoted servants to the patriarchy, especially when it comes to their daughters. Mm-hmm. I talked before about both magic and slaying as stand-ins for sexuality and queerness, and we will get mm-hmm. even more of that as we move through Willow's Ark specifically. yeah. In this episode, Joyce lumps witches and slayers in with monsters, yeah. and then as she's setting the girls on fire, Joyce tries to bond with Sheila. Well, yeah, murdering your kids together—I yeah, mean, that's I mean, got to pull you
0: close, right?
1: You know, you know their <laughs> refrain is effectively "think of the children," but yes. what that really means is make sure to uphold the status quo. And the status quo where anything strange, unique, or queer is punished. Mm -hmm. And punishment means violent death. Right. So the children... Well, and the demon is
0: coded male. Like when the two children merge, and then we've got this huge, massive demon...
1: Mm -hmm. I mean,
0: that's a dick swinging demon. Totally. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's a a man.
1: So, um, yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, the demon, the Mm -hmm. demon is coded masculine and its sole desire is kill the bad girls. Yes. I'm like, all right, we got ourselves another giant patriarchy demon. I mean, it's really, it's super, super icky. The whole, Mm -hmm. the whole mother daughter witch hunt thing is mm-hmm. super icky and i i don't know that that's what the writers meant to say that you know i'm not that...
0: sure that they did but i mean but it is kind of a reflection of what we see right it's men using women to turn against other women
1: right right Ugh. yeah right. and using women to oppress their their daughters who are mm-hmm. you know the who are about to become adult women themselves it's right super gross it's super and gross. they mustn't
0: mustn't make it to adulthood without knowing that they are shameful just in their very existence
1: yes mm-hmm. yeah so yay wow so you <laughs> liked it huh well okay <laughs> I like I like how ambitious it is in its uh-huh. themes. I mean, I don't mm-hmm. think that it i I'm not sure that it succeeds in everything that it attempts to do, and there are a lot of little like loopholes and things that that I go, really? like no one mm-hmm. like no one noticed and you know, no one notices until three quarters of the way through the episode that we don't know the kids' names. Right. Like, really? Um, Well, I
0: mean, I guess if everybody's under a spell, because it feels very clearly that it's not just that the kids are haunting Joyce, but they're controlling Joyce and the other people. Yeah. So they're actually like, they've got them under some kind of of spell. And when you are under a spell, like you can't necessarily see everything.
1: But we needed to... We needed to explain that more clearly or show it right. more clearly that this is... Absolutely. That this is... There's something demonic going on and it's affecting all of the adults in a very specific way. Right. But it's not
0: affecting Giles. No. Right? Giles is free from it. Um, and Buffy, Xander, Will... Like, all the kids are free from it.
1: Yeah. It's super, it's super, super weird. So I like yeah. that it, I like that it takes on ideas of, you know, what, it, the patriarchy and also, mm-hmm. you know, things like censorship and, yeah. um, you know, what it means to be different and how afraid we are of anything that's different and what it means to make things right when something... Yeah goes horribly horribly wrong um Mm -hmm. it raises all of these really interesting questions and it borrows all of these really interesting symbols and ideas from you know fairy tales from other narratives from other aspects of Buffy but then we never really we never really pay it all off it never really totally comes together and it is super super distracting when it doesn't Mm -hmm. right Um, i love i mean i love an ambitious story that you know tries to grapple with lots of different themes but Mm -hmm. and i i like some of what we get in gingerbread but i don't i don't love it it's a fun episode it's a fun episode to tear apart i don't hate (laughs) it the way you do i mean i like i i I kind of like the the occult narrative that like oh, witches mm-hmm. did it and then you know Buffy's like no, there's no way witches didn't do it and just like uh actually uh, I think actually, witches, witches maybe did it, did it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I don't know is this our first instance of using wicca and witchcraft interchangeably I don't remember I...
0: I think so. And it's something we will
1: continue to do. Totally. And it's super, I mean, Giles links the murders to European Wiccan covens. And I mean, mm-hmm. we all have the same Google, folks. But real quick, Wicca, religion, no ritual or human sacrifice involved. Good and love the earth and I'll be over here. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, I just like mm-hmm, lazy, lazy yeah. storytelling, lazy writing there with that mm-hmm. link. Um and I do not buy this symbol as a scary weird symbol. I don't buy it <laughs> at all. This is a point up triangle, strong foundation, ascending to heaven with a happy little smiley mustache. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pyramid that's happy it's to see November you. It's a
0: November triangle is what it is. Oh, it's a little um, happy. It's right, a little but
1: happy if, pyramid. I mean, when you,
0: find, when you find dead children with symbols drawn on their hands, like you're going to think that the symbol is something bad, even if it looks happy. But I mean, is this an actual real? I didn't look it up. Is this I an lo- actual real symbol? I looked it up?
1: up. It does not appear to be a symbol. A, a real thing. Outside mm-hmm. of... Buffy. I mean, the okay. point the the point up triangle is a, you know, powerful, mystical. I mean, the triangle yeah. pointed any direction. Um, sure. Mm-hmm. But no, I couldn't find I couldn't find this symbol, um you know, affiliated with anything. I really do think that somebody drew a smiley mustache on a pyramid. <laughs> drew a it's just a happy to see a pyramid. And I mean, and that raises the question of like, why do the children have this symbol? On their hands. It's a protection symbol. Mm-hmm. And this is supposed to be... These kids are supposed to be the origin of the Hansel and Gretel fairy tale, right? This mm-hmm. is what we hear and we're supposed to, you know, be like, oh, that's cool. Fairy tales are real. And I'm right. down with mm-hmm. that. But the story... Like, wh- why do they have a protection symbol on their hands? Did their parents put that right. on them before they sent them into the forest to be eaten by wolves? Like, what... I guess
0: maybe maybe they just draw the symbol because it looks occult-ish and that's all they need to, like, get people into this vigilante mob mode. I, I don't
1: know. Yes, I guess. And probably, I mean, and there were probably issues with using any other symbol. You probably wouldn't want to use a really well-known sure. to, But still, like, mm-hmm. why do the kids have it on them? It's very weird. It's very weird. Other to than ignite to, the mob,
0: I yeah, mean, I guess. Right? Other than to yeah. freak
1: people out. Um, I apparently have a lot of questions about the witchcraft in this episode. <laughs> I want to know where Amy, Michael, and Willow got their badass collection of skulls. Um, yeah. Does the magic shop in Sunnydale just sell skulls? It it, it did, may did I mean it may maybe, the maybe aban- there's
0: maybe there's a bunch of skulls just around in the forest you know dead animals and whatnot uh. and you just pick them
1: up. <laughs> maybe maybe they got them from the abandoned biology lab that we saw in the pilot possibly uh, possibly it could be anything um <laughs> yeah but I like that when Willow is busted at school Snyder holds up her bags of herbs like they're drugs right. there's something just really what would have been funny is that that. if she was
0: like no it's marijuana
1: (laughs) (laughs) no that's just that's just pot it's just pot no big deal (laughs) no big deal yeah yeah the occult is not i mean it's problematic in this episode and it's supposed to well, be well, yeah. I mean, not it's very thinly,
0: way. it's very thinly painted, mm-hmm. right? You know, like it's it's more complicated than it's presented. And I mean, in this world, you know, the occult is something you turn you can turn to for whatever. I mean, you can turn to to do bad things. You can turn to it to do good things. And we're gonna see magic used as metaphor. For like so many different things. It's a metaphor for a lesbian, you know, lesbian activity. It's a metaphor. (laughs) Excuse
1: me? Oh, I cannot (laughs) wait. I cannot wait until we get to magic as lesbian sex. It makes me so happy.
0: Anyway. Magic as lesbian sex. Magic as drugs. Magic as power fantasy. You know, like there's so many different metaphors that we use magic for um and and not all of them effectively you know and also the fact that we can't like stick with one you know because we we have magic for so long we've got to and it's it's sometimes part of the wicca thing like we do get that separation in season four right you know where where willow goes to a wicca group and none of them are actually into magic they make an empowering lemon bunt they're all a bunch of wanna blessed bees right (laughs) All this stuff that I just pull off the top of my head because I've seen this so damn much, but I
1: love this show. Because you um, live in the world of this show, and it's wonderful, and I, I love it. I do,
0: I do, it which is so why happy. when they do this weird shit to the world of this show, I'm like, whatever. They make it look all sickly green. It looks like an ode to Apocalypse Now, which is not thematically. That's no. visually what they're doing. no. But like the handheld camera and all the weirdness (laughs) and whatever. I don't know. I don't know. So like for me, the fact that they like mess up Wicca as a religion is on the list of offenses from this episode is pretty far down for me. It's like, all right, fine, whatever. And everybody does that, you know, but they do separate it later on. You know, they do separate Wicca from actual real witchcraft magic uh later on with uh, with Willow and Tara, You know, yeah. kind of uh, yeah. leaving
1: the uh, the Wicca the Wicca group. But then um, of course they I mean like that's you know, shitty to Wicca and people who practice yeah. you know, a real religion in the real world and like I don't mm-hmm. know. I it bugs me. It bugs me. I'm not myself Wicca. Well they don't but, do much better with yeah.
0: Christianity if no, that makes you feel any no. better. <laughs>
1: No, but I they feel like, I mean, but yeah. that's, you know, if you take a shot at Christianity, I mean, Christianity. <clears throat> yeah, no, Christianity and patriarchy and all that stuff, they
0: run the world, you know. Yeah, yeah
1: Christianity doesn't notice if you take a shot at it,
0: but. These
1: if, nice ladies making empowering lemon buns just want to do their <laughs> and stuff. woman power and, you know, like, and goddesses right. and come on, yeah. man. like That's cool <laughs> stuff. It's like. Yeah, it's a it's a beautiful it's a beautiful religion um it's a beautiful so,
0: it's a beautiful feminine religion that actually values the feminine so that's so, why it has to take shots
1: oh yes well because anything yeah. because anything that is even kind of feminine is worthy of mockery right i mean uh, this yes, is i mean absolutely. that's that's the root of i mean god that's the root run of, like a girl cry like a girl mm-hmm. scream like a girl yep don't be a girl. Don't be don't be a girl because the worst thing that you could possibly be is a girl. Right. Because girls are yucky. I mean, it's like that's Well, Yeah, I
0: mean, that's kind of the the vision of the patriarchy. I mean, the patriarchy is essentially an abusive boyfriend, right? (laughs) Who comes in, makes you feel like shit about yourself, and then says, oh, no, baby, but I love you, you know, Uh and then, (laughs) like, feeds you the poison and then tries to make you feel better as long as you follow the rules. And this is something that, I mean, that's part of the slut shame. It's part of everything. And the thing is that this is all part of the terroir, right? You know, which is something I've talked about before. I'll bring it. Terroir is a (laughs) concept about grapes and wine what's in the ground gets in the grapes gets in the wine I use it as a concept for storytelling so it it does not mean that poor Jane Espenson who wrote this this episode and is a genius and I love her and she's amazing um, you know is also like a you know misogynistic you know creepoid or whatever like none of that is true (laughs) the fact is that Jane Espenson like the rest of us grew up in a patriarchal culture where these things get into the storytelling whether you believe them or not like when this is what you're taught From the time that you are little, you absorb that stuff and it gets into everything that you do. And then we have to look at it as critics and, you know, viewers and readers and pull that shit out so that we can appreciate the rest of it. You know, so like once again, I just want to point to the terroir that while we are talking about how (laughs) we have these patriarchal themes in this episode, uh, we are not pointing fingers at anybody because it's really a cultural problem and it gets reflected because we reflect ourselves to ourselves in our stories. That's how that happens. So I just wanted to go and do my little quick <laughs> PSA there. Your little terroir. Every, every six episodes or so, I've got to yeah. do the terroir. Yeah,
1: you've got to talk about terroir about every right, six I episodes. Right, clear that it's not the fault of the writers.
0: The yeah, writers I mean, grew up in a culture that does this to people.
1: Yeah, I mean... Well, fault is a tricky, like that's a tricky space to get into because, mm-hmm. you know, if you, if you uphold a message, is it your fault, but we all do it because we're already, it's, I don't know. This is the, it's this, not, this not the your fault, but it is your responsibility.
0: Yeah. You know, yes. like it's, it's, it's our responsibility to, um to recognize these things. But at the same time, like you don't know what you don't know. And if you are, you know, in a space where you haven't really engaged with these ideas very much, um, then you don't know. Now, if you have engaged with these ideas fully and you're like, nope, I like this patriarchal message. Well, then we got issues. Right. But I don't (laughs) think that that's the case. And back in the 90s when this was done, like, I didn't know the stuff that I was writing was full of patriarchal bullshit. If you go back into my novels, you know, from (laughs) the early aughts, right? Like I'm sure it's full of patriarchal bullshit. I'm sure it is because I was full to the eyes of patriarchal bullshit. Like it's in the culture. So as soon as I started kind of waking up to it and recognizing it, like since then I've worked very hard to acknowledge it in my work and to like remove those influences from my work. Um, But so, so in the end, like I don't think that having these kind of themes show up in the work necessarily means that somebody is the patriarchy's foot sh- foot soldier, you know, it's just that like, these are the things that happen when we're not really thinking about it. Um, and when we, we don't address it. So I just want to like, I hate, This thing that happens sometimes with critiques, not with us, of course, because we're lovely, (laughs) Um, but like where critics do this thing where they just like they tear something down because it makes them feel smarter and look smarter. You know, and the thing is, like, I don't think that's fair. And I think that it has more to do with the ego of the critic rather than actually engaging with the material in and of itself. And I think that throwing around judgment and blame and um, accusations over intent um, is not really like a helpful way to deal with the material because it doesn't it doesn 't address the ma- the material, right. what it does is it becomes this personal well, look at me i 'm more woke than thou right, and I have no time for performative woke bullshit oh, like, I really do. No. Yeah. but uh, but I mean, the thing is that like i I firmly believe that this is something that we need to take seriously and we need to think about seriously, and at the same time, I firmly believe that we need to not use it as an excuse to Separate ourselves from others to put blame on others to be more woke than thou to you know be superior or whatever. Um, it's not about that. It's just about looking into these amazing stories that we have, sucking the poison out, and then going on and enjoying the rest of what's there, which can be really really great.
1: Witches got you down? Evil women in league with dark powers infringing on your perfectly ordered patriarchal society? Come on down to Sybil's witch-burning supplies, from blessed charcoal to Fiat Luke's brand lighter fluid. We've got everything you might need, whether you're a neophyte in the field or a grizzled old inquisitor with multiple frightening scars who long ago lost any sense of empathy. If you come on by and meet our dedicated crew, Sybil can show you the supplies to get you started burning your first Diabolist that same day. (laughs) Ask about our starter kits for beginning misogynists. Or you could take the money you would have spent on enforcing the status quo and setting fire to anyone who challenges it over to patreon.com slash chipperish and turn it into insightful and funny podcasts that may or may not dabble in the dark arts. You'll also get access to the chipperish discord chat full of smart and lovely people who will definitely float in water. All right. And a quick thank you to Rob Hyred, host of
0: Metaphors Be With You, our Star Wars podcast, who wrote the Patreon Ask for us this week, and it was really super fun.
1: <laughs> so we have a lot of issues in gingerbread. Yes. We have a lot of issues with gingerbread. Um, but the my big takeaway, my big mm-hmm. takeaway from gingerbread is moms are the fucking worst, you guys. Right. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Yeah. this isn't our first episode with mommy issues and it definitely won't <laughs> be our last but damn damn i mean <laughs> fucking joyce we've talked about the <laughs> conflict vending machine that is joyce is it a vampire <laughs> like damn it joyce yeah. as soon as joyce shows up i'm so pissed off it's so stupid like and this so is mad. hugely dangerous yeah like you know uh, I mean, I just, okay. <laughs> I am with Buffy from the first Russell in the Bushes. Yes. And I want to know how these writers and this director did that. I mean, <laughs> my God, like, is it just the stark contrast of Joyce's sing-songy tone with the dark and spooky atmosphere? Or is this scene, it's the, like it's the pure stupidity?
0: Like, oh. It's the stupidity of it. I mean, it is. Here is your kid out in a war zone, and you're bringing her milk and cookies. Like, oh get out of the way! Yeah. Like, you just give her one more thing that she has to worry about, one more person that she has to protect from being killed.
1: You know, like I don't, don't usually do that. hate hate Joyce, but you don't sneak up on someone during patrol. You just don't. No. <laughs> I mean, she's lucky she didn't get staked. Faith would have staked her first and asked questions later. Absolutely. And you don't just show up when someone is at work and expect them to be glad to see you. That's not... Exactly. No, I don't care what your relationship (laughs) is. I mean, maybe this is all just like... Like petting my introvert cat fur the wrong way, and I'm super prickly <laughs> about this whole interaction. <laughs> but I am so mad. I'm so mad about this whole thing with, with Joyce and Buffy right at the beginning. But I gotta tell you, right. Christine Sutherland, oh my god, her oh god, when she sees the bodies of yeah. the dead children, gets mm-hmm. me. And I'm just like, oh, I'm like, right, I'm like, okay, Joyce, okay, you you can stay for a minute. Um, right. I mean, I've said it before. I'll say it again. Even when they give her nothing good to do, Christine Sutherland is great.
0: No, she's fantastic. And the only reason I have any time for Joyce at all, especially in these first few seasons, is because of Christine Sutherland's performance, which I think is really good. But Joyce in this episode is not actual Joyce. And this is the thing that, like... I I do this sometimes with various characters. I'm like, no, that's not that character. Yeah. You know, but the thing is, is that a character is what they are written. You know, like if they are written to do something, then that becomes part of that character's, you know, um, personality or whatever. And I don't know, with this, with Joyce... You know, with what happens with Cortelia throughout the run of the series. Like, there are things that make sense and feel right and connected and reasonable for these characters. And then there's shit that's just out of nowhere weird. And it isn't, like, who Joyce is. And Joyce is very often a conflict vending machine. Yeah. Like, we do treat her that way most of the time. We don't get a real strong sense of her characterization. I think until Buffy goes to college. You know, that's when we start to get a sense of, like, actual Joyce and who Joyce is. You know, we don't see as much of her. Maybe that's why. They don't have (laughs) as much opportunity to completely ruin her. Um, But we get a better sense of her, you know, especially during season five, you know, right before we, you know, kill her off. Um, Right. Of course. But Joyce is as... Like I think this is the episode where she is like the least recognizable as actual Joyce and she's more just annoying mom stereotype <sighs> Yeah. You know, it's like just this, just, you know, put annoying mom in the cup, add a little water. There you go. And, <laughs> mom. and it doesn't feel like Joyce, like Joyce doesn't seem that stupid, you know, Slayers don't have ride alongs. That's not right. how this shit works, you know? <laughs> and aside from that, if you want to go um patrolling with Buffy, if you want to see what it is that she does, you ask her about it right. ahead of time. Yeah, Like she's your kid, but she's also the Slayer. And that's different, you know. Um so Joyce doing this it feels weird, it feels out of character, it feels phenomenally stupid, which Joyce I think isn't. You know, there most of the other times she's not phenomenally stupid. So all of it just feels weird and then we have this, you know, moment where she finds the children. And so this is all basically just a way of getting her to find the children. Like why couldn't she have just found the children during the day at the park, you know, or whatever. What if she was coming by before sundown to make sure that she dropped some stuff off that Buffy needed and asked for, maybe, you know? um, Or something like that. But, like, the way that they do it just makes her incredibly stupid. And then, of course, throughout the rest of the episode, she's not supposed to be herself. She's under the thrall of a demon. So, you know, we can kind of let that go, I guess. But, yeah, it's yeah, all weird. Yeah, but
1: they don't... <sighs> It's so not... It's not foreshadowed in the way that a lot of other things in the episode are foreshadowed. Joyce Mm -hmm. sees the... Joyce finds the bodies and is, you know, horrified. But then we come back... We come back from the opening credits and Mm -hmm. Buffy is in full-on adult mode. And she's the one comforting Joyce. And Joyce... I mean, if you... If you look at... What they say to each other in that exchange where Buffy says, you know, she comes over from talking to the police and she says, they say we can Mm -hmm. go home now. Everything that follows that, if you age flip that conversation, it's clearly they are mother-daughter and they've reversed roles here. Mm -hmm. But that's not... I mean, and we've seen that a little bit before where, you know, poor Joyce is like so confused and Buffy is just like... In control, knows what to do. All right. We had
0: it in band candy. Yeah. I
1: mean, we had it literalized in band candy. (laughs) Oh my God. And we get such a great callback. Great reference. Oh, man. I know. Oh my God. Oh my God. (laughs) And I love, I love Joyce calling Giles Mr. Giles. Like, like, of course she would call him Mr. Giles. Like, how, what is the, you know. Like, what's the least suspicious thing I can say? But, (laughs) you know, we have, like, Joyce, we have Joyce all traumatized. And we hear from Buffy later, you know, she says to Giles, you know, my mom can't even talk. Yeah. And it's this, it's almost like they wanted to sort of have the the experience of seeing these children who are actually a demon Mm -hmm. make Joyce sort of regress like if she were to be you know pre-verbal and then i don't know not she's we need to see her be not herself more or something Mm -hmm. but i don't i'm not sure that the the writing team knew at this point who they wanted joyce to be
0: well no i mean joyce is different depending on who's writing her and what the needs of the week are
1: you know? Right. And this is yeah. the problem with stories about teenagers mm-hmm. or, or children or, or young people you know, who would still, right. who it would be expected, would mm-hmm. still have parents yeah. in their lives. Because especially if you want young people to have adventures in your stories, you have to explain why their parents aren't there or why, why their parents, parents don't notice not... that they're gone or exactly. why their parents are not paying the fuck attention. Yeah. Because like even the most neglectful parents like, I would think would notice something. Right. But apparently not. I mean, apparently Willow's mother. Right. You know, but not that notices. long ago,
0: we had Ugh. everybody doing the round robin phone calls, right? You know, where, yes. you know, Xander calls and says he's staying at Willow's. Willow calls and says she's staying at Buffy's. Buffy says she's staying right. at Xander. Like, whatever, you know, and they do that round robin thing. Um. So apparently Willow's parents cared enough that she had to lie to them. At some point, like, and that's the thing, like, her mother doesn't make any sense in this. And Joyce doesn't make any sense in this. But, of course, we have Giles, who is the father figure, right? <laughs> you know, so we have I him love... coming in. And he, of course, is wonderful, as
1: always, because Giles, right? Yes. <laughs> I know? love, yeah. I love Giles. When we cut from Buffy saying to Joyce, you know, that that they're going to do something, you know. Mm-hmm she's gonna oh, shoot i forget i forget what she says oh she tells joyce to calm down right and then we cut to <laughs> buffy yelling up at giles don't tell me to calm down right. and i love this i love this edit so much because we've just seen buffy be you know mom to her mom right and then we get the shot of her looking up at giles and over she his shoulder where he hid. looks like Yeah. And because he's standing above her in the Mm -hmm. library and the camera's over his shoulder, he looks like he's about six foot a million. Like he looks so tall and she's just this teeny tiny little Buffy. So tall and and
0: powerful,
1: you know, which is really great. And, you know, and then we cut away and see, of course, that he's standing, you know, on the stairs in the library. But it's just, it's delightful. And I love this dichotomy that, again, is one of these things that we don't really get to explore in this episode of Buffy is the adult with her mother, but the child with Giles. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, in... because
1: Giles, she can be the kid with Giles yeah.
0: because he will yeah. be the adult. Whereas Joyce, we've had, you know, I mean, with the exception of Band Candy, where he wasn't. <laughs>
1: like, literally. And it yeah. was delightful. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> Can we just talk about some can more? Think, can we go back
0: oh my- and talk about bands? <laughs> but um but I mean in this episode, Buffy still gets to be she has to be the mother with Joyce, but she still gets to be the child with Giles. And Giles, despite being an adult in this environment, is not affected by it right you know i mean he's not yeah. like, he everybody else is under the influence although snyder i think is just enjoying the opportunity to dabble <laughs> in some fascism you know which is always oh god his, his greatest i love
1: dream. i yeah. love snyder being so gleeful about yeah. you know the long row of lockers and a man with a key I and know. i'm like oh that's not symbolic thank this you is, Snyder. <laughs> this is his best day ever Best day ever, Snyder. Yeah. God, I, Snyder, always a joy. Snyder always a joy is to see Snyder. Always a joy.
0: I love him. And, you know, it, uh, Armin Shimmerman, because I mean, the thing is that that character could be just terrible, but he's so wonderful. And here's the thing he is always written consistently. Whenever we yes. see Snyder, Snyder is Snyder. He's so beautifully and clearly characterized and that's something we failed to do with Joyce because we brought her in her whole thing was simply be mom you know and so like Principal Flutie the first one that got eaten by the hyenas yes um Principal Flutie uh was just you know come in and be principal and he was you know fairly consistent but he was just like the principal guy whereas Snyder was actually characterized you know from the beginning and that's something that we failed to do with Joyce she's just generic mom you know well um, yeah. Joyce
1: is sometimes the antagonist and sometimes not yeah mm-hmm. and I think that's the problem where Snyder is always very true if Snyder yeah. is there he's the antagonist we have clarity on who Snyder wonderful. is wonderful yeah his whole job his whole job is to be like a mustache twirling villain is to be the douche yeah. yeah 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 oh god he's he is wonderful but yeah. Yeah, but we do get there's there is one teeny tiny little piece of this episode that you like.
0: Oh, my God. I love it so much. It is 35 (laughs) seconds
1: in the middle of the episode. Um, Yeah.
0: It is when Buffy sits down with Angel, right, and talks about how, you know, her mother said it was fruitless. No fruit for Buffy. You know, here yeah. I am doing this, you know, thing and it never works, you know. Um, and I've got a clip of it here. So I'm just going to play that real, real quick. I do know it's important to keep fighting. I learned that from you.
1: But we never, we never win. Not completely. Never will. That's not why we fight. We do it because there's things worth fighting for.
0: So this expression of why we fight is a huge part of of angel's entire character entire ethos there's actually an episode (laughs) of angel called why we fight and it's something that we uh go back to in angel over and over again and i always love those moments and here we have this wonderful it's like we have this dud of an episode and everything is stupid and then we have this moment with (laughs) Buffy and and Angel having this discussion and he's just getting into the he's just revving up this is just the beginning of his philosophical you know discussion and she suddenly stops in the middle of and she's like wait they don't have any parents and then we go back into this whole thing and I was like no 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 let's go back and stay there with Angel I would rather hear Angel ranting philosophically for 45 minutes than live through this just terrible episode of
1: Buffy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love, I love the exchange there with Buffy and Angel. And when he talks about innocence, yeah. you know, that the kids, like he says, he says, people are talking. They're even talking to me, right. which I love. Um, But he makes a point that, you know, they were kids and that makes a difference because they were innocent. And Buffy says, and Mr. Sanderson at the bank had it coming. <clears throat> yeah. And we raise this really interesting question of, like, well, it we, like, what is innocence? Who qualifies as innocent? Right. What, you know, there's this whole path that we don't go down. Which is um, a
0: really interesting conversation to have. Because even if you look at, you know, Angel, before he was turned, when he was Liam, I mean, right. he was, you know, as we heard in Amends not too long ago, a drunken, whoring layabout. But... <laughs> But he wasn't like he he just was a dumb kid. I mean, I think he was like 26 when he died. But still, um, you know, I mean, he was young and he didn't get the opportunity to grow and change and become better, you know. And so like he also is innocent, you know. So, I mean, all of it, when you look at it, like the discussion of what is innocence, you know, yeah. and and when do we lose it? And when do we deserve what happens to us? You know, like right. everybody, it feels like as long as you're still alive, there is opportunity to be better, you know, and to right. do better. Like, well, and as long yeah. as you're alive, then there is that element of, and I don't know the innocence, because innocence has a lot of different kinds of meanings, you know, and I mean mm-hmm. it in in the sense of not being... Guilty, not being, not deserving whatever she gets. Not you get. causing harm. Not causing harm. Yeah. I mean,
1: yeah, not, well, and it's such Not deliberately causing it's...
0: harm, even. Lots of yeah. people cause harm and don't mean to. Totally. You know, hurt yeah. people, hurt people. Like, it's that kind of stuff, you right. know? So, like, there's, I think as long as somebody is alive, there is always an opportunity for redemption. There's always, and I mean, good God, if Angel is not the walking poster boy for the idea of... Earned redemption, you know. Right. Um, right. Yeah. I don't know. So, I, I, like, I think there's so much interesting stuff to be done with that, and it's just like we have this moment where there's this really interesting stuff going on. There's this great conversation, and then suddenly yeah. it's like, oh no, I'm sorry, we have something stupid that we must do first. Right. So and we don't do even that.
1: pay off. We don't even pay that off. Yeah. The idea of, you know, the. At the end, you know, of course, the angry mob is being an angry mob, right. and and these girls have, you know, dabbled with unnatural forces or you know whatever, that they deserve to die. That they they yeah. brought this on themselves because of what they did, and there's no possibility of redemption for right. them. That the only answer is for them to be burned. Yeah. Uh, well, wait I mean, a and, I mean, granted, like, that's how we work
0: you know right. as, as and we still work that way very much today in our culture but the reality of it is that like the the opportunity yeah. for redemption you know the opportunity to make amends to atone you know i mean that is i think a sacred thing i think that the ultimate you know savability for lack of a better word of of people is what makes us amazing, you know, like that people can be saved, they can be better, they can be different, you know, they don't have to be monsters. It is a choice, you know, and you can choose differently. And I think that we see that uh, a lot with Angel's story. I think we're going to see it, you know, Faith's arc, if you look at her arc throughout the whole run of the series, both here and over in Angel, uh, we see that a lot with her too. Like that, that ultimate, you know, um, salvageability of the human soul. That you can be saved. And Angel is a huge, you know, um, fighter for that. I mean, he will always try to save people if it's at all possible. You know, he will always try to help people redeem themselves, you know. Um, And I love all of that. And so that's why I'm talking about that instead of
1: this stupid fucking episode. Yeah, well, because, again, like another one of the questions or the the themes, the ideas that this episode raises but doesn't really get into Mm -hmm. is the idea of punishment. Yeah. And what does it mean... You know, Joyce makes a good point at the beginning when she says to Buffy, you can't make it right. Yeah. Like, what is making it right even look like in a situation like this? In a situation where somebody is dead, mm-hmm. like when someone does something horrible to someone else, something that can't be undone, how mm-hmm. do you respond to that? Like, how do we respond to that as a society? How does a town respond to that? Um You know, there's such great potential here, especially on the heels of amends. Yes. With this theme. Mm -hmm. But Joyce and the Moosters decide to just air quotes make it right with With, punishment and death. With killing more children. Like murder.
0: By killing yeah, I mean, more children, the only way to make dead children better is to kill more children. Apparently, right. yeah,
1: yes. Apparently, that's the answer. But again, like that's a huge, the, huge yeah. discussion to have. That the wonderful the show not playground. really interested in having no, or at absolutely least not not in this episode. It's a super ambitious episode thematically, and it all just kind of it crumbles it like crumbles. gingerbread. It's terrible. Okay, can I also talk about? <laughs>
0: How fucking stupid it is to set up your burning stakes indoors. Everybody dies. Oh, my God. We're all going to die of smoke inhalation. What? What? They couldn't (laughs) do it outside? Like, is there no outside in Sunnydale? Ah. I mean... Like I get that there are monsters. Sunnydale is I, all
1: alleys. It's all. I <laughs> like, mean, you just set it yeah, an alley. You got somewhere. a
0: bunch of cemeteries. You got twelve cemeteries within the city limits. I believe we have had that established. You can yes. burn your stakes there, but when you burn something like that into, I mean, okay, look, I'm going to tell you something. I have a bad toaster, right? <laughs> I have a bad toaster, and when it goes bad, which is every time we use it, which is why I need a new toaster, I'm taking recommendations, because dear God, I've bought like five toasters in the last year, and they're all shitty. Um, But anyway, this thing smokes and burns and, you know, sends like, you know, smoke throughout the house from a piece of burnt toast, right? Um, And my whole house is filled with smoke, and you can't breathe, and we got to open all the windows, and the alarm goes off, and it's all a big mess. Anyway, I'm sharing this to let you know that if indoors... I burned a single book. Uh, The whole place would go down and that would be it. You're in this room, this enclosed room. The windows aren't even open. (laughs) They're (laughs) lighting things on fire as though no one knows how fire works. And it's going to kill them all. Not to mention the fact that they've locked the doors. So, I mean, Giles has to pick the lock to get in, right? Um, Yeah. The, what? the phenomenal stupid Okay, and like okay fine they're all under the thrall of these demons that don't just want the girls killed but they want everybody killed and so the vigilante mob is going to go up and smoke with the girls and that's the whole point fine but it's so stupid like you would think that the pure stupidity of it would wake somebody up you know like one of them who's a little less under thrall one of them who the kids didn't work on quite so much like I don't know so all of it is so incredibly stupid. And it just annoys me all the way through. Um, But there is one thing that kind of did delight me. And I feel like not a little bit of shame about it. I got to say the moment when Willow is saying the last time we had a conversation was when you brought up the patriarchal bias of the Mr. Rogers show. And then Sheila gets so mad. She's like, well, the way King Friday just lords it all over everybody. And, And here's the thing, like that's fucking ridiculous. It's a ridiculous, stupid argument and whatever. But I, kind of feel sheila rosenberg in that moment like okay i don't feel her i see myself in her like (laughs) if we have a moment with my kids where we're having a conversation and it turns to buffy or you know any story that i feel strongly about i mean i have been tormenting these poor kids from the time they were little with you know nemo's motivation in Finding Nemo, like shit like that. Like, I will go on a tear. And now they're older. They're in it with me, man. We saw, you know, the the all-female Ghostbusters and talked the whole ride home about all of these issues and things and blah, 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 blah. And that was great. Oh my you know? God, I want that to host minimum. Oh I my God. you we and your kids so talking In the car after a movie. Yeah, I'll record it. The oh next my... time we go see a movie, I'll, I think we're probably going to go see Endgame. So I'll record it afterwards, like all of us talking about Endgame and whatever. Because it is really fun. And they're amazing and they're so smart and it's really great. But from the time that they were little, like that's the shit that I would do. You know, I would be like, Do yeah. you realize, you know, the inherent issues with blues clues? Like, you know, do you see <laughs> Um So I'm just saying, like, I don't I don't think that Sheila is is good in this moment. Um, I don't think that I'm particularly good in those moments, but I see
1: me and Sheila Rosenberg and I kind of sympathize. Oh, Sheila Rosenberg, straw academic and straw feminist. Absolutely, like, both of those things. Oh my things. god! Oh my Just god! Just literally cannot stop
0: herself, and that's kind of like where I am when somebody brings up one of my little things, <laughs> one of my little bugaboos. I cannot not say anything. I have oh to go into a whole rant, god. and it's you know what I'm saying. I figure it's part of my yeah. charm. I'm at the yeah. age where I'm like, you know what? Whatever. It's it's who I am. Love me. Love my wild, stupid rants. Whatever.
1: (laughs) I love your wild, stupid rants. Thank you, baby. So, honey, what are you wearing? Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I love, by the way, that we're going to, that we have some truly horrible Xander in this episode. We're not going to talk about it because, ugh. Oh, I can't even. (laughs) Xander
0: and his Playboys and his bullshit, whatever. Like, I can't. You know, I can't
1: my i i love i'm i'm sorry like maybe this is horrible mm-hmm. but i love um xander and oz in the cafeteria with the burrito oh <laughs> Just- like, like what what is going on in that moment i love it so much well i love That's xander and Oz. okay
0: well let's go ahead and take a moment to talk All about right. it. xander and oz i i love this whole thing with xander and oz i love that xander is you know really like uptight and tense about whatever everything that happened and that that oz is judging him but then the two of them work together to save willow and that bonds them i love that oz is not particularly threatened by Xander he's processed all of this and I mean last week in amends he says to Willow I don't think it ever will be over between you two and I have to decide if I can accept that and You know, if it's worth it. And it is. And he decided that it was worth it. And it is. And he's not going to, like, hold it over anybody or be a jerk about it, you know. And Xander is just reflecting his own guilt onto Oz. But then the two of them bond as they try to rescue Willow. And, of course, both of them completely fail and just fall through the vents at the last minute, um, where the vents in which they would have been cooked like a Thanksgiving turkey. had this been successful. But you know what? They tried. They did their best. They did their oh, best. God. They tried to, to come in and save them. Um. So, yeah. So, like, Xander, with all of his problems... I mean, last week in Amends, he had that wonderful moment where he came in, showed support for Buffy, let go of his, you know, uh, ire toward Angel and and supported yeah. Buffy in trying to help him, which I thought was really wonderful. Um. So Xander's been winning some points with me. And because of that, I am... Ignoring the Nazi Germany stuff. I'm ignoring the Playboys stuff. We (laughs) don't need him to reference. It's clearly a fascistic regime under Snyder at the moment. Um, We can just say fascism. We don't have to go to Nazi Germany. Like, I just, I feel like that is, that's a thing that we don't need to bring up. It's incredibly painful, um and and you know like a trauma trigger so if you're going to talk about nazi germany like i think that you need to earn it by actually talking about what happened there and they're not going to do that so just say fascism you know just like just genericize it that's fine i always go i always think specifics are better i tell all of my students in writing that specifics are always better this is one of the circumstances where you could have let that go you know
1: yeah and we don't Um, need to we don't need to Call it out so much because we're showing it. I mean, we're literally right. burning books. Right. We're literally like, I don't. I don't know. Got don't know. that Fahrenheit Again, 459 working borrowed. for you,
0: baby. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Fahrenheit 459, the little-known sequel. To the little-known sequel. Brilliant. Though. Oh God, I love the ending. <laughs> Yeah. oh dear
0: but i also love how offended giles is like giles doesn't get upset he's the calm guy like he doesn't get upset yeah. much but when snyder comes in and touches his books oh yes. no that is ripper coming out right there He is about oh, ready to god. throw down and i love it
1: and then he tries to get on the computer I to know. do his research and I he just ca- I... giles oh so my god sweet. oh god giles so sweet. <laughs> oh, sweet. But he's not wearing his scruffy sweater. I feel no, for you. We don't
0: have scruffy sweater Giles, and I miss him. I miss him so much, Noelle.
1: <laughs> he is
0: my heart. <laughs> I have to go back and watch, you know, The Wish like every day now because I miss scruffy sweater Giles, and we're not going to see him again for like a year. <laughs> not oh until God. we get into depressed scruffy sweater Giles in season four. <laughs> which is also, by oh. the way, another one of my favorite. All of my Gileses are my favorite Gileses. All of the Gileses. <laughs> there is not a Giles I do not love. How do you feel about Demon Giles? I was just going to say, even in a new man, Demon Giles, love him. Love, love it. him. I horns love it. and all. Horns and all. I am into Giles and I am not going to be ashamed. So, Noel, what are you wearing? <sighs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> i love buffy's blue patrol coat yes giving me all the dana scully vibes right. and i love that she looks like the adults in the scene right. which is totally mm-hmm. appropriate mm-hmm. she looks she's like dressed for work yes she is which is fantastic and then you know zooming all the way to the end of the episode you know, everything is everything is almost back to normal, and Willow is wearing her adorable red overalls, and I just oh, like I, know. I love I, Willow's I love collection how, of overalls.
0: I love how almost being murdered by their mothers causes like almost no trauma. Like, <laughs> right? fine. It's
1: cool. My they're mom like, tried eh. to kill me. um yeah. But
0: I'm going to be okay. Like, it's no big deal.
1: Yeah, I was actually on fire there for a minute. It's fine. My sneakers, my orange sneakers are now black, but you know, it's fine. (laughs) Let's make some purple smoke in my bedroom. Right. Let's just let's just work on the rat. Like it's one thing
0: like they're they're working on Amy the Rat, which is an adorable little ending to it. But like the fact that neither one of them is traumatized at all by this and that they're not just focusing on Amy the Rat as a desperate attempt to like not deal with the fact that their mothers tried to kill them.
1: (laughs) Right. Because moms are the worst. Because moms are the worst. Narrative tells us. Right. I mean, I think it's very interesting that the one who escapes getting set on fire by her mother is the one whose mother is evil and trapped in a cheerleading trophy? Yes! It's like, perfect. (laughs) The only reason, Uh the only reason Amy's mother didn't try to kill her is because Amy's mother already tried that. Already tried that. Exactly. She started the trend. She was the first one and nobody gives her any credit. She liked killing daughters before it was cool. (laughs) She was all about, she was all about killing those teenage girls man absolutely absolutely all right so what's your girl power moment of the week okay i i love buffy staring down the bullies i know i i love i don't know why it works like did we establish buffy as you know I imagine Big slayer she's got campus? a reputation
0: at this okay. point like I imagine she has kicked enough general ass that people know that she's strong and not to fuck with her um, but I like that right I like that yeah. it's, it shows the value of a bad reputation which I really enjoy
1: <laughs> <laughs> what's your girl power moment of the week have you got oh one? Cordelia
0: Cordelia I mean, I love Cordelia. She finds Giles. She slaps him. She makes sure that his brain damage is officially acknowledged as not her fault. Right. Um, Right. In in the car with him, riding out to save everybody. She's (laughs) crushing all the magical herbs and dealing with the toadstone, which, by the way, ew, gross. Um, Then when they get there, you know, first of all, she's mocking him for his misspent youth while he's, you know, picking the lock to get them in. Right. She goes in. She takes her elbow. She smacks. Snashes the fire hose and she gets to business. I mean, granted, she starts putting out the books first, which I think is nice, you know, whatever. Uh, Or hitting the people (laughs) first, you know, uh, before she hits the books. Um, And then they have to tell her, "Uh, actually, put out the fire that we're in. Like, stop knocking the people down. Put put out the fire that we're in, you know. Um, And so she does that. And it's very cool. Like, I love seeing her kind of come in and bust the place open. It's awesome. And if it was not for Cordelia, everybody would have died. Yep.
1: Yeah. yeah. Cordelia, welcome back to the Scooby gang. Welcome back whether you like it or not. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Cordelia. I hate to break it to you. Oh, Cordelia. Cordelia kicking yes. all the ass is so wonderful. And I love her line in the car so much. I hate you so much. I know. <laughs> just, just no. It's thank so you. Great. Oh, it's I so love great. it. Alright, uh, so Noelle, what's your favorite part? Okay, I have lots of favorite parts, but the one that gets me, Mm -hmm. like deep in my bones, there is... So Joyce is giving her impassioned speech about how Sunnydale is not a good town and that Mm -hmm. it's, you know, now it's been turned over to the monsters and the witches and the slayers. Yeah. And we cut to Giles and his oh shit face. Like Uh he's just... You see that hit him? Yeah. Like a ton of bricks and it's like I forgot that mm-hmm. there was acting involved. Right, and like it is such a real like oh fuck, uh-huh. we are in so much trouble face. Absolutely. And it's like it's the it is the greatest and realist thing in mm-hmm. the episode.
0: Yeah yeah no it is really really great and I love that Um, but of course for me my favorite part is the part that we cut short and had nothing to do with the rest of the episode and was actually good (laughs) is the the why we fight you know uh, philosophy from Angel I love that and I also really love the awkward meeting with Giles and Joyce at the town meeting I thought that was really fun so
1: good so good and then when Sheila says there's rumors and Giles' head whips her out about us What? (laughs) Giles.
0: It's so good. I love Giles. All flavors of Giles.
1: That's it for today. We made it through another Yay. one. To Join in the discussion on Twitter. Follow Lonnie at Lonnie Diane Rich and me at Noelle Aloud and use the hashtag Still Pretty. Also, you can keep
0: Chipperish Media going to the tune of a dollar a month or more and gain access to the live chat in Discord where you can hang out with me and Noelle and all the Chipperish patrons who love the smell of Desperate Librarian in the morning.
1: You can also show your support by giving Still Pretty a great review on Apple Podcasts or by telling your friends about the show. Or by doing a doodle. I do doodle. You too. You do doodle too. (laughs) I do.
0: (laughs) We will be back next time with Helpless, the 12th episode of Season 3. Until then, Prince of Night, we summon you. Come fill us with your black, naughty evil.